Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. Good morning, New Life. I want to welcome all of the campuses. It's good to be back and see so many wonderful faces. We're living in interesting days. I don't know about you, but I was telling somebody recently, I almost feel like I've entered a dystopian reality where I'm not sure if we're entering the Christmas season or the Hunger Games are about to break out. (laughs) Should I say Merry Christmas or may the odds be ever in your favor? (laughs) And we're in this series on the end times. And obviously events that have happened over the past month within the Middle East have raised a lot of antenna as are we in the last days. I want to say something very important at the outset. According to Peter in Acts chapter 2, we have been living in the last days for the last 2,000 years. So, today, we're one step closer than we were yesterday. Okay, rest in that. But what I want to do this morning, we're going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture. But before we do, I want to give you five statements. And these statements are to make sure we're all kind of on the same playing field, especially going into our study of the Scripture this morning. Statement number one. God's promises and plans for Israel and the Jewish people are still true. Statement number two. Our redemption at the end of the age, which is what we're all looking forward to, yes? Yes. All right. Is tied to God's promised redemption of Israel. Statement number three. The hope of the New Testament believers, which is the resurrection of the dead and the redemption that will happen at the end of the age, when Christ will return victorious, is the belief and a hope that we actually share with Judaism. Statement four. We, as non-Jews, do not need to become Jews in order to be right with God. In other words, you guys can enjoy your pulled pork (laughs) or your bacon and grits. Amen. Statement number five. As Christ followers, we have a responsibility to love and pray for both Israelis and Palestinians. As I said, it almost feels like we're in this and entered this dystopian reality. 
And part of that is because the world that we have entered into has become so binary. I either choose this side or I choose this side. If I choose this side, I can't like this side. And if I was going to summarize what I want to say this morning is that the question about the end times is not if it will happen or when it will happen, but the question that needs to matter to us is how do we live in this messy middle? Because as Christ followers, we are called to live in tension within this world that we're living in and not go to the binary sides on either stretch. So let's open our Bibles and we'll start in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We are after the cross. We are after the empty tomb. And the disciples recognize that Jesus as the Messiah still has things to accomplish in order to be the Messiah that God promised. And so they ask, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Notice Jesus' response. He doesn't say, oh, come on, guys. I've been with you this long. I've died on the cross. I've risen again. You see the, 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 the nail prints. You still don't get it. He does not reject their question. Actually, he affirms it. But what does he say in response? He said to them, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, the question is not when will it happen or if it will happen. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When Jesus' disciples were asking him, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom? He says, that's the right question, but you're asking when, and that's really not your concern. But your responsibility is to be my witnesses. And what does that mean? Those who have studied with me in the school of ministry here at New Life will know that before I'm ever going to say, what does it mean to us? I'm going to ask what it meant. So I want to take you on a little journey with me for a moment. I want to take you to ancient Athens. I want to take you to ancient Rome. These cradles of things like democracy and Republican values do not look anything like the world that we live in today. If you walked with me through Athens today, 
in the middle of the Agora, where actually we read in Acts chapter 17 that Paul was 360 degrees around, he is surrounded by temples. Of course, the most famous is the Parthenon that sits upon the Acropolis, the temple to the goddess Athena. And we look at that and go, okay, they had their temples. But what we don't understand is idolatry and the worship of other gods and goddesses permeated every layer of ancient society. It defined who you were as a citizen. It defined who you were in your family because family was not just mom, dad, and two and a half kids. Family was my family here horizontally, but also my relationship to the gods and goddesses here. It permeated every part of their life. That's who Gentiles were. When we read about Gentiles in the New Testament, these are individuals who embrace the worship of other gods and goddesses. But it's not just like, well, I'll go to the temple and make a sacrifice here. It literally influenced every part of their lives. Okay, the same thing's true if I took you to Rome. You go into the Roman Forum and all around you're surrounded by temples to various Roman deities to Rome itself. And that idolatry led to behaviors and morality that was absolutely foreign to the world of the Jewish people. So when we talk today about Gentiles, you need to understand that these are who the Gentiles are. We good so far? All right. But then let's talk about who Jesus' first followers. Who are his disciples here? They're Jews. They believed in the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament. They believed that Jerusalem and the land that he had given to their fathers was their land, but in the first century, their land is under the Roman Empire. They believed that in the future, God was going to restore the freedom of their land, but here's something very important. Their freedom from the rule of Rome was so that they could worship God appropriately. They believed that by Rome ruling them, they could not worship God the way he demanded. Because remember, who are the Gentiles? They're those idol worshipers we just talked about. So they were looking forward, not just to political freedom, but political freedom gave them the ability to worship God rightly. That's why redemption in the period of the New Testament is always political and spiritual. It's together. It's not either or. And so you can naturally understand if they're worshiping the one true God, they see themselves as his chosen people, and that this land is supposed to be theirs, that the status that they find themselves in in the first century is under Roman rule, under the rule of people who worship many gods, and their land 
is basically not under their rule, but under Rome's. So this is what's behind the question the disciples are asking. Now, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, the followers of Jesus who were Jews make this determination that you and I as non-Jews, we don't need to become Jews in order to be right with God. Remember, that was our statement number four. But they say, here's what you have to do. Avoid food offered to idols. Avoid sexual immorality. And avoid the shedding of blood. All three of those things are at the very heart of Roman culture. All three of them. But you and I were told to live in this messy middle where we no longer fit among the idolaters, but we also don't fit over here as the Jews. Why? I want to take you on another real journey for a moment. In Acts chapter 17, Paul goes to Thessaloniki. It's in northern Greece today. And he enters the synagogue as was his custom. And he debates and, and lays out his case to the Jewish leaders. Which is basically this. It is necessary according to the scriptures for the Messiah to suffer. And it seems based upon what Luke writes in Acts 17 that he's getting people nodding their heads. Okay. I can kind of agree with you on that. And then he says, and by the way, Jesus from Nazareth, he suffered, died, and rose from the dead. But here's the thing. There were four expectations that all Jews had for the redemption at the end of the age. Number one, the land of Israel would be free. We just talked about that, right? Number two, the wicked empire would be thrown down and broken. And number three, the God of Israel would universally reign. So Paul shows up in Thessaloniki. He doesn't have the YouTube clips of Jesus walking out of the tomb. So if I'm one of those people, have any of those three things happened? No, they haven't. So what's the proof? What's the evidence? And that gets us to number four. Number four stated that at the end of the age, Gentiles, you and me, would turn from worshiping their idols, turn to worshiping the God of Israel, but remain Gentiles. And by doing that, it's a sign that the end has come. Paul doesn't have the YouTube clips of the resurrection. Rome still controls the land of Israel. Rome is still in power in the known world. And the God of Israel's reign has not universally dawned. What is the one piece of evidence of Jesus' resurrection? Gentiles turning from their idols and worshiping God, 
the God of Israel and remaining as Gentiles. In other words, being witnesses. How? Not just by their word, but more importantly, by their lifestyle. Because that lifestyle that we talked about that Gentiles had, worshiping idols, sexual immorality, the spilling of blood, those Gentile followers of Jesus repudiated that and said, I'm not going to live that way anymore. They have turned. They, they're still eating their pulled pork, still get their bacon and eggs, but they have embraced the morality of the God of Israel. But they're caught now between these two poles. You follow? Now let's flip over to Romans 11. And we're going to read kind of a, a chunk of this. And Paul's in the middle of an argument that he's been building to. And in verse 1, he asks, has God rejected his people? The response is by no means. But in verse 11, he asks this question. So I ask, have they stumbled, the they here meaning Israel, so as to fall by no means. But through their stumbling, which is how the, the Greek term here should be understood, salvation has come to the nations, to the Gentiles, to us. I'll explain that in just a moment. So as to make Israel jealous. Please note, jealousy in the Bible is not a bad thing. Jealousy in the Bible is making me want something that you have. Not in a covetous way, but in a way that pulls me to behave better. Okay? Jealousy is not a bad term in the Bible. In fact, the Bible describes God as being jealous. It's not, a, it's not a negative quality. So what is Paul saying here? Remember from the book of Isaiah, the call of Israel is to be a light to the nations. But he describes some of them in this present period as stumbling. And that stumbling has opened up God's redemption for you and me. But what is the purpose of that salvation coming to us to provoke Israel to jealousy? In other words, we as a body of non-Jewish Christ-following believers should be provoking Israel to wanting to be that light to the nations that God called them to be. How is that possible in a world where today people are standing and protesting and saying, gas the Jews. Let's continue on. Now, if their stumbling means riches for the world, in other words, what he's just said, and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, for us, 
how much more will their full inclusion mean? Notice what Paul's saying here. He has an expectation of the role of what you and I are to play as it relates to God's redemption of Israel. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to make my fellow Jews jealous and save or make rescue some of them. For their rejections means the reconciliation of the world. What will their acceptance mean but the resurrection of the dead? What he's saying here is that if we as non-Jews live Jewishly in our morality, not in our behavior, but in our morality, loving the God of the Bible, serving him, loving our neighbors, being those witnesses in a world that rejects the God that we serve, that will actually be a testimony that will bring Israel to jealousy and repentance and their repentance will bring about the resurrection of the dead. The end of the age. I would say this though. The challenge that we face here and now is Paul's writing this in the first century but we have now 2,000 years in which the church has been anything but a light to Israel. When Martin Luther could not understand why the Jewish people of Europe did not respond to his reformation, he writes a treatise against the Jews and their lies, and he says, may they be wrapped in their Torah scrolls and burned in their synagogues. It was such a profound statement that when Hitler wrote Mein Kampf, he quotes Luther. Julius Streicher the chief Nazi propagandist, as he's being led to the gallows in Nuremberg. And they say, do you have any final statements to say for yourself? He says, no, why? Everything I said, Luther said before me. And he was right. You say, well, I'm not a Nazi. I hope not. But the fact of the matter remains, we're living in a reality in a world where the binary polarization of our world is pulling us, either I'm going to stand with Israel or I'm going to stand with the Palestinians. And the reality is we have to live in this messy middle as witnesses to God, to the world around us. But that also doesn't mean that we ignore what Paul is saying to us here in Romans 11. Does that make sense? Let's continue on here quickly. So now Paul is going to, in verse 17, he's going to go into a warning to his readers of Romans he says, but if some of the branches were, and the Greek term here should be translated as bent or dislocated. 
And you, the you here is a singular you. So he's saying to all the Gentiles, y'all are one branch. A wild olive shoot were grafted in them to share the riches of the olive tree. Now, you all understand how grafting works, right? You don't lop off a branch and stick a, 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 a shoot. You break the branch and you stick it in, right? So he's not talking about the branches being cut off. They've been bent so that the Gentiles, a singular branch can be grafted in. Do not boast over the branches. Don't be arrogant. If you do boast, remember, it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. You will hear people even today say things like, the church has replaced Israel in God's economy. How can you have a blossoming branch when the root has supposedly withered? You will say, branches were dislocated or bent so that I may be grafted in. That is true. They were because of their unfaithfulness, but you stand fast through your faithfulness. What are we called to do as witnesses? Be faithful. The Bible doesn't give us a calendar of when the end will come. It says the end will come. But our responsibility in this period, when the world is coming apart at the seams, is to live in this middle in an uncomfortable reality. We don't have the privilege of being pulled, whether it's through our social media, whether it's through our regular media, whether it's through our political preferences, whether it's through this professor that we thought was really great in university. We do not have the right as Christ followers to be living on the edges. We have to walk that middle road. And yes, it's difficult. But it's our responsibility to faithfully live as witnesses in this world. And living as witnesses is not fighting the good fight on Twitter. Living as witnesses means I live in this reality of these poles. And I recognize exactly what I said at the beginning that God, his promises and his plans for Israel have not ended, but that doesn't mean that my heart doesn't break for the suffering also of Palestinians in the land. I arrived in Israel on October 6th. I woke up very early the morning of October 7th and already the news was on. I was there when the October 7th attack happened. I have family and friends that were in the middle of the attack and I mean right in the middle of it. 
And trust me, I have felt the pull because while I've seen some difficult things in my life, I've never stared pure evil in the face like I did on October 7th. Some of my dearest friends live, work in Israel. I also run a business and one of my workers is a Palestinian Muslim. So I'm not just talking here in generalities about walking in this messy middle. And at the same time, I have been so hurt, upset, angry at what has happened on October the 7th. I've also been walking through with this young lady on my staff and making sure that she's okay. And you know something? While I was in Israel from October 6th to the 22nd, 23rd, this young lady checked on me every day. And yet here we are in our armchairs and we find ourselves being polarized. You cannot be the witness that Jesus has called you to be in these end times and stand on one of the poles. We have to find the way to walk and live as witnesses for God in this world that is going insane by walking in that messy middle. 